You're now tuned into the Fully Booked Podcast with Mace, French and Pox. Enjoy the listen. Where to go? Tell me where to go. Another episode of Hashtag Fully Book Meets. You hear of myself, Mace. French is en route and will be here shortly. An honourable mention to Pox, who can't be with us, currently away on business. Today we've got a very special guest. Um, before I introduce him, I just, I'm going to list out some of the things I know you do. Historian, public speaker, researcher. There's about five things I missed, but I'm leaving that <laughs> gap for you, Mr. Daryl Blake. Thank you, Blake. thank you for joining us, Daryl. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So do you want to just finish off what I was about to mention? What uh, else can be labelled next to your name? Uh, probably mentor, yeah. uh, youth leader. Um, uh, yeah, I don't want to listen too many things, um, but those are the main things that I do on a day-to-day basis. Um, so one of the reasons that I've kind of brought you onto the podcast is I went, I went to an event Um maybe about six or seven weeks ago. And Johnny Pitts, the author of Afropean, was speaking at this event. So that's what first attracted me to the event. I heard about it through a, a mutual friend of ours. Mm-hmm. So I've gone down there. Um, I didn't realise, well, I knew there'd be a guest panel, but I didn't realise who the guest panel would be. Anyway, so after Johnny Pitts, the author of Afropean, has um, kind of finished his segment, there was a question and answer segment, the second part of the, of, of the evening. And Daryl Blake was part of that, part of that panellist. And some of the questions and the responses I was receiving back, it, it intrigued me. And I said, I want to have a, a more in-depth conversation with yourself. Okay. Um, and I was like, okay, like, what, how can I find out more about this guy? So I think I, I briefly approached you. I know there was a lot of kind of um, like uh, people at the venue and everyone was kind of speaking to each other. But I briefly approached this kind of gave you a brief introduction to what we do. And you told me you had another event coming up. You had an event coming up and I, sh- I could attend. So I researched that and it was um, the Dole Test, the reenactment of the Dole Test. Um, attended that event, very, very popular. Very, I'm assuming it was sold out. Yeah, Even yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a sold out event, very popular in a massive hall, completely packed. Um, and it was a really, really good evening. Thank so you. congratulate you on that. Thank because you. I never Thank got you. a chance to speak to you after about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I, what I want to know is, that as, as I kind of briefly mentioned before we went on air, what we kind of do on Fully Booked is we love to speak about the kind of power and influence that books can have on individuals or how books can be used by individuals to motivate them to succeed, to drive more in life in it, or any kind of roles and responsibilities they feel they have to themselves or a community or to a wider audience. I want to get Daryl Blake's story today. <laughs> so literally, yeah. um, if you want to give a brief background into what you do, as in some of the things that I've listed out, but also how you've got there, how you've become the Daryl Blake you are today. I don't mind you going all the way back to childhood where it starts. Yeah. Yeah, and then we'll touch upon subjects that I know you've you've got little palms and hands in. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this has been a long time coming since the uh, since we met up at um, the Afropean uh, Book Club. Mm-hmm. And, um, and obviously we spoke briefly at the documentary uh, premiere in London. Um, what can I say really in a nutshell my journey has been about empowering my people mm-hmm. empowering African people from the diaspora now the reason for that is is because through my childhood and I grew up I grew up in Brixton um, and I was kind of centred around community centred around you know that feeling of everybody's your mom, everybody's your dad Okay. and within that came knowledge within that uh, uh, came 
responsibility and sense of like identity. You kind of knew who your friends were, but there was a sense of collectiveness when it came to, not even when it came to race, because there was a class system. So no matter what race you were, what faith you were, you was all the same. Mm -hmm. So I'll be kicking ball with some of my white friends, some of my Muslim friends, some of my, it didn't matter, it was one family. And what brought about that was the sense of, do you know what, we're in this together. As I grew up, I started to get knowledge through music. So it was my dad who put me on uh, reggae music. Mm -hmm. And within reggae music came the knowledge of self, came the knowledge of I and I, came the knowledge of uh, blackness, came the knowledge of Marcus Garvey. Yeah. Through uh, Black Uhuru, Bob Marley, uh, through Peter Tosh, I started to get into who is this, well, uh, who is this Marcus Garvey character. And then when I started to read upon Marcus Garvey, I was like, right, okay, this gentleman is powerful. Um, Marcus Garvey is a gentleman um, born in the 1800s. He was born in Jamaica, but he was a Pan-Africanist. And Pan-Africanist is basically someone who believes in the continent of Africa and those outside of Africa and Africa's born within you. Kwame Nkrumah says, I am not African because I was born there. It's because Africa was born within me. So he gets the ideology from pa uh, Marcus Garvey, who was basically about it's Africa for the Africans. Mm -hmm. um, now, when I had that knowledge, I was very young, but I didn't know what to do with it because it's like, okay, when I say young, I was like looking at about 11, 12, okay. 13 at the time. It was my auntie um, who is a Hebrew. I didn't even know black people could be Jewish back then. <laughs> like, I can't be honest. But I always used to think like, why is she always dressed like that? Why is there no TV in the house? Anyway, so it was my auntie who put me on the idea of there's a higher power, there's a higher source. She made me fast. Now, my auntie, uh, love her to bits. She was the one that would, she wouldn't like Bible bash or anything like that, but she would like try and drop in a little. So what are you doing with yourself? Have you prayed recently? I'm like... Nah, I'm not even praying, you know, I'm on the roads doing certain things. And um, there was one day she said, I want you to fast. And it was called uh, the Atonement, it was in November. And um, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was so crazy because I said, you know what, let me do this fast and see what she's talking about. So I did this fast um, where it was like seven days where I couldn't have certain food. So I can only eat like egg, bread, could drink water, I could have grape juice. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there's certain things I couldn't have. But that was what I stuck to for like seven days. After that fast, I can honestly say my life changed. Like, I remember there was an instant where my grandma was ill on my mum's side. And um, my grandma's from Coventry. We live in London. And my grandma was like, not well. She was in hospital. And my auntie was up there. I remember uh, my auntie was on the phone to... Uh, my mum's saying, oh, uh, mum's kidneys have gone. Oh, okay, cool. Five minutes later, her liver's gone. <sighs> okay. <sighs> so many things. Bah, 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 bah. And I was like, okay, grandma's going to pass away. Mm. So I went into the garden and I must have closed the door behind me. And I was like, um, this is like a little while after um, uh, I did the fast, like a couple of weeks. And I was like, okay. So, uh, God, 
Jehovah, <laughs> Esau, Buddha. I don't know who's up there, but if you could just spare my grandma for like a few months, because my mom is not financially good at the moment, let it just, you know, but if you've got to take her, so be it. But if you could just hold out a little bit, yeah. Because my auntie told me I could speak to you like you're one of my friends. So I'm sorry if you think I'm being rude. This <laughs> I was talking in the garden by myself and I was 14 at the time. Okay. So. And are you religious? Are you quite religious at this, at this point in your life? I'm just more spiritual. Okay. Right. So um, there was silence. I was like, okay, give me a sign. Silence. Mm. Okay. So as I turn around to go into the house now, there's a the next door's tree. It's a big tree. It was like going, it's going crazy. I was like, yeah, duppy. I'm out. I went into the house. Yeah. Ran into the house. I sat down. I was like, oh my gosh. 10 minutes later, mom comes running down the stairs. Grandma's awake. Da, 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 da. I was like, whoa. Went to go and tell my auntie. Auntie was like, yeah, because um, God has these open seas on the planet and it just takes for them to be watered in order for them to... But it takes that moment in time. It happens at different points in people's lives. Yeah. She goes, you was, when you was um, living in Jamaica, you was an open sea. Your grandma didn't, she just brought out so many things. I was like, wow. So I started to read more. Then I started to sit down with a few... Um, my Muslim brothers and they was teaching me stuff. And then I went to the Rusters. They was giving me more lectures. And then I sat down um, with a couple of Buddhists and they told me about the um, the importance of silence. That's why a lot of Buddhists um, take the oath of silence because there's so much power. And my brother says this, um, sound without focus is just noise. And that's why like, when I go to the opera, I understand how powerful silence is because silence it gives you focus. Because if you knock out your ears, everything else enhances mm -hmm. like your all other senses. So, um, when I started to sit down with different factors, sitting down with um, Kemetic priestesses, these ones that believe in like, don't use like the term Egyptology, but they they believe in Kemet and they started showing me about spirituality and then they gave, talked about the chakras. And I was like, so every year, like every other year, I was sitting down with different people like mentors and elders mm -hmm. and they was giving me the knowledge, making me read certain books. And, and this is from the age of, from the age of 14. Yeah, 14 so yeah, you're yeah. in high school about year nine, year 10. Yeah. And how do you converse with, people your age group when you're thinking like this and the thing about there's only one person I could speak to and he was a guy that put me on like he spooked me out because he was like have you heard of Illuminati I'm like what <laughs> I was like what are you talking about so he gave me a book and he said read it I read the first page which and book I really I couldn't on Illuminati yeah yeah, yeah 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 I think it was by uh uh what's his name ah oh, it's gonna bug me it will come though but um he was not Dr. Phil Valentine, some, something, uh, Alex, my Alex. Anyway, he's got a podcast out at the moment. He's been writing books and he's always doing conspiracies. And um, anyway, okay. Um, he gave me a book. I read the first page. I was like, nah, I'm putting it down. The same week, my brother said, um, I want you to come and see me. I was like, well, after school, he's like, yeah. Came to his house and then he was like, all right, I'm going to order some pizza. I'm going to put some documentaries on for you, but I want you to watch this one first. When I come back, I want to talk about it. I was like, yeah, sure. Domino's pizza, barbecue base. Nice, big brother. I love it. He goes, all right, I'm going to turn the light off. I'm like, yeah, go and do your thing. So I'm just eating a pizza in the dark. This documentary was about an hour and 45 minutes. Remember, I'm 14 at the time. Yeah. And it was just straight about Freemasons, Illuminati, reptiles, um, shapeshifters, da 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 It was just one after the other. I was like, what? Like, when he came back, I was sitting in the same position. I didn't even go to the toilet because I was scared. I was like, wow. He goes, what do you think? I was like, nah, nah. That, nah, <laughs> no, what is that? Anyway, and then he's like, all right, you got to go home because you got school in the morning. I'm like, so you want me to go home by myself? <laughs> it's like coming up to 10 o'clock. 
you've just made me watch something that's just shifted my no, mind. I didn't even yeah. know. I had no idea. And you want me to go home by myself. So I'm sitting on the train now thinking, are oh, these people reptiles? Did they blink that way? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, what? But then I started to, I'm very inquisitive. So I started to ask more questions to my brother. And then I said to my, my friend, oh, I know about this. He goes, yeah, I was like, watch something. And then from there, my head just began like a sponge in water. So um, I'm not religious, but mm. I like to take many things from different faith, faith beliefs and uh, 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 different religions because I can apply it to my life. And I think if that's conducive, then cool. The reason why, the main reason why I don't stick to religion is because many of them, especially the monotheistic ones, the basic ones, either have racism or sexism in there. Mm-hmm. I can't, I, I, I don't get it. I, yeah, I, I can't. It's not, it doesn't agree with your moral This is it. Compass. If it's for you, I mean, I know some amazing people, like my friend, he's a Sikh, Jaspreet yeah. from Birmingham. He's fantastic, such a cool guy. And he gives me knowledge um, on the Sikh faith. And I'm just like, wow, I'm blown away. So I can take stuff from there and then someone who's Hindu and then da 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 But yeah, I just have to, have something that works for me and that's just spirituality just being divine and just loving the next person okay so you'd say growing up age of 14 and as you're getting older you're reading a lot of kind of spiritual books spiritual books um what can you define or can you put your finger on one in particular that really changed your mindset Mm. or really kind of helped you to develop into spirituality or on yeah on spirituality yeah there's a book Oh, so you put me on the spot now. Um, by Queen Afua. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so, I am so sorry for that for me. I totally forgot the title, but it's a blue book. You know, when you type Queen Afua in as Afua as in A F U A, when you type Queen Afua into Amazon, you will see her book. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's called Divine Something. That book there, phenomenal. Um, spirituality. Doctor um, Laila Africa as well. He's got a book. Um, for the life of me. Oh my gosh, it's just a skip, um, it's escaped my mind. It's a white book and it's got Africa, it's a green Africa on the front. You, you, yeah, you can't miss it. It's a fantastic book, it's thick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think Robin Walker, When We Ruled, I think that book, it was not really spirituality, but it brings blackness into the presence of literally when we was on the continent doing great things okay. as opposed to, as an alternative narrative to what we now understand about. So I think those three books were, yeah, definitely something that... That's on a, okay, that's on a spiritual level. And you were about to shift onto something else, a different subject. And yeah. On, a, on another level. So when it comes to like blackness and black history, yeah. then it changes. Right. And also before you go on to that and you, st- and you mention any books that have influenced you in that sense. Yeah. Where I know you've kind of grown up and you, you've sought out knowledge from Rastafarians, not just from Rastafarians, from all sorts of different mm-hmm. um, people and different, who, who have different beliefs and yeah. religions. But tell me... What has kind of led you to want to study and learn more about kind of black history and kind of black empowerment and these kind of things? What's led me? Um, it's literally just the information alone because when you're growing up and you're going to school and then let's say like Black History Month and you learn about slavery mm. in like year nine. Black History Month, year 10, slavery. Year 11, slavery. You go to college, you might not even learn anything that has any blackness in it. But then it's Black History Month, so you probably see a couple of films on TV, but you might go to a few events, slavery, slavery, slavery. So when you hear that, you're like, slaves. Until you pick up a book and it's like, do you know what? Like, we built empires. Mm -hmm. What? We created music. What? We gave the world math, pie. We, like, we was the first people to actually write letters. We, I was like, what? Us? Huh? And because I'm inquisitive anyway, 
my passion's music and my passion is like philosophy, I'm like, what? Did we did this? So it made me want to read more because I saw myself. I saw a positive representation where it's not, okay, he's a black guy with a hood, so he's a he's a criminal. It's mm. like, no, he's someone who's capable of creating the internet it's by a Nigerian guy. Um, he's the one that created the perfect shoe so that we can all wear shoes on the street. Uh, he's also someone who, um, like, when you see the, the street sweepers, the machines, mm -hmm. the, the guys that sit in the thing and they've got the mm -hmm, brushes, mm -hmm. he's a guy that created that. Mm -hmm. You look at CCTV, that's by someone else. Then you've got Jesse Russell, who created the phone. And then you've got Shirley Jackson, who created Caller ID. And then you've got the traffic light. Then you've got the gas mask. And then you look at all these people that create these things, you're like, we are some inventors. And where we invented these things are in spaces that predominantly do not like black people. So imagine you're being oppressed you're in an institution that's pretty much racist, whether it's education, whether it's occupational or societal, and you're still managing to say, you know what, here's my contribution, I'm going to create something. Mm -hmm. Imagine creating a gas mask, right? And you create a gas mask, but the gas mask you created was not used for your people. So you create a gas mask, then there are racist people in Europe, like Germany, who then say, all right, well, we're going to have the gas mask, but we're going to use that mm. to save the Aryan race and everybody else who's not blonde hair, blue-eyed, you're going to die. And especially black people. So you create something that wasn't even used for your people. For us, yeah, for it's meant. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, but it just goes to show, like you were saying earlier, my resilience earlier, um, um, before we started rolling, like it's, it's the love that I see within ourselves, like despite all the things we faced, we're still loving people. Whether you're, no matter what faith you are, no matter what you've gone through in life, you are a loving person. It shows we're always acceptable, always like, okay, we always want to get approval from, we're just loving people. And that's been our own detriment as well, seeking the other and trying to be, when people are trying to take from us, we're just willingly going. No matter if it's educational, whether it's something to do with music or film or culture, like popular culture is based upon urbanization. It's based upon what happens in the streets and manifests out. Mm -hmm. That comes from struggle and that comes from, you know, let's do something for ourselves. There's something that we can, there is something that we can be proud of and let's just keep it within our community. And then you say, do you know what? We can offer it because someone's like, hey, can we come in? And we're like, yeah, sure, come in. We let them in, they take over. And then, and we've been doing it for a time and that's always been our detriment. Mm -hmm. We, if black people on a whole across the globe have created something like music, every genre of music there is, but we don't get credit for the music that's being created now. That's it's it's bad and it's institutionally racist, but we let it happen. We created dancehall, but most of the popular culture songs that happen today is based upon the same beat rhythm of dancehall. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we're able to let? people infiltrate or the kind of divide and conquer as they say and and kind of let yeah let our our kind of inventiveness be masked over and, and it's not kind of glorified or it's not it's not in the kind of public eye as much as it should be because we don't own and control anything that's what racism is racism is prejudice plus power so when we're in a state where we're okay so i'm rasta you're christian i don't want to deal with you you're muslim cool you're Igbo, you're tweet twice you're da -da 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 -da. You, when you're all these things that just creates the divide and conquer because you're, you're too busy worrying about yourself other nations have got it right i've been to there's something called the wage of whiteness that um malcolm x talks about meaning like even though when he, he was saying this in harlem like back in the 60s saying 
even the poorest white person in Harlem is glad he's not black because there's something about being black. Um, it's a stigma. Right. Mm. So Black History Month is seen as, because there's nothing to glorify, because we don't have anything to show off, no one really wants to be black. I just do that generically. There are individuals obviously proud to be black, but as a whole, we're not proud to be black. Black History Month is like, yeah, we've got 31 days, happens to be the same month that we've got um, Halloween, cool. And there's this, okay, let's do this event, let's do that event, let's be proud to this, where are dashikis and whatnot. But then when it gets to November, everybody's just quiet. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. It's like football. We become glory hunters. Like, imagine watching football for the first time. You see Messi play. It's like, <laughs> I want to support Barcelona. He's on stuff. Like, that's what it is. But you got to stop having blackness treated like it's glory. It's not. You should be wearing it every day and be proud. But when there's no representation of positive outcomes, when there's no representation of people that have been through the struggle have made it out, when there's no positive, positive representation in places of power, then no one really wants to be black because we're scared. And because we don't build a community... We don't want to take the risk and stand out and be Malcolm X because we don't think anybody's going to care. Mm. And that's our own fault. Most of our issues are literally our own fault. No one, and that's the reason why there's no black power in the sense of like the the civil rights movement because no one's ready to die. I'm True. I'm all for my community, but I know if I go out there and start speaking, there's probably going to be like five or, four, five or six people that are going to be like, yeah, Daryl, and that's it. The rest of the people ain't going to do it. We had, we had, there's a few points. So we actually had a guest on... Um, on the fully booked meets previously, um, a guy called Kaya Kaya Kazi, mm-hmm. um, uh, and it was one of the things he mentioned. He's got. A, he, he said there's someone who he associates with who actually used to try and do these protests, and it was mainly against kind of knife crime, but because it affects the black community so much and so badly and so terribly, he was like, "Look, we need to do something about it. There's there's no one out there that's really doing much. That's really gonna. There's not much. We have to help ourselves essentially before anyone else wants to help us." Hundred percent. And I remember him saying that one of his friends who's a popular DJ will play at all clubs, have all these dances. People always rock up to the dances, sold out, sell off events, whatever. He start, tried to put together some marches. He said, do you think those same people will come out and support the marches on a wet Saturday <laughs> afternoon? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, no, definitely not. So you're right in a sense in that it's almost like people, we're not sticking together or people are not sticking together and really I'm willing to die for the cause. And, you, and it leads me onto the example that's going on at the moment. When we have riots in this country, for instance, like the, the most recent one is the Tottenham riots. that lasted four or five days, ended up turning into kind of, or the media portrayed it as a loot fest after a few days. Yeah. And it, they, they kind of dwindled out and everyone went back to their day-to-day, whatever. If you notice across the pond right now in Hong Kong, I, can't, I don't know what month we're in, but there's non-stop protests about the legislation with what the Chinese government are trying to trying to um, introduce for the people who are currently residing in Hong Kong. Something to do with extradition laws. There's a little bit more to it. Mm-hmm. I know one of the main things is the ability for the Chinese to be able to, Chinese government to, be able to extradite those residents living in Hong Kong yep, yep, for yep. certain crimes. Mm-hmm. And obviously they don't want to live under that, under that, um, under that, under that government's rule, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has been nonstop. Nonstop. Every single day for... I don't know. I couldn't tell you how many how many months now because mm-hmm. it's, it's longer than days. But it just goes to show if you really believe in a cause, if a people, if if a people or a group really believe in the cause, you're right. You have to be willing to die for it. We can go all the way back to slavery where people were just like, no, nah. like if if everyone during slavery had just continued as they were, we would be in the same position now. Oh, of course, we'd be in the same position now. Oh, 100%. definitely. Going to what you're saying about Hong Kong, and this is about dynamics. When you're in Hong Kong, all right, when you watch it on the news, 
and you got the protests and they protest. All right, so you got people from Hong Kong. Yeah. Who are they protesting against? From what I understand, the Chinese government. My yeah. Okay. But all in all, they are pretty much the same. Yeah. Hong Kong's on the cusp of China. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Cool. Here, if we're writing against anybody else, we're writing against another race that we are scared of. They're writing against I'm themselves. Like, why am I scared of you? You don't. Are you mad? Like, okay. Where's if we're not gonna if we're scared to even there's something called acculturation. And the culturation process that we happens to us where we're in school or in work is where we adapt to another culture. We take it on. So, mm-hmm. for example, you go into work, you see it a lot. A lot of women may have their hair a certain way because their work team or workforce are like, mm, do you know what? Well, I don't think I feel comfortable with that afro, you know, or you having your natural hair. So, yeah, cool. They will drop a little digs like, oh, so is that your hair? Is it? And you have to, you know, let me just put in a wig so I can't be bothered. Mm. They're not every woman, but there are many cases where I've been told that, you know what, I've had certain conversations and I just like, you know, I'd rather just throw my wig and just keep moving, stops all the conversation. So there was a culturation process where we adapt to someone else's culture. They don't adapt to black culture or African culture or whatever. We adapt to their culture because we're going into their spaces. Mm. So in the culturation process is that you slowly become them. So as African people, we're very rhythmic. Everything's to be, everything's to do with timing, everything's key. So um, key based in terms of tones and, uh, and frequencies. When you laugh, like you see when you're with your friends, how do you laugh? Wildly. Right. If 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 something's really bust me up, then yeah. wildly, yeah. Right. Yeah, just even, naturally, it'll just whatever. You might even tap your friend, you know, like you might go, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, yeah, 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 do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, at yeah, the end yeah. of the laugh goes, yeah. whoo. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or you might laugh, but you you're laughing on the inside, but there's a little sound that comes out. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. you do that. Try and do that in a corporate space. No, you have to, ha, 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 and then stop. You adjust because if you're like, woo, hey, no, listen. If you do that, it's a wrap. They're going to be like, oh, you're quite urban, you're quite ghetto. So we have to tuck in our natural Africanness just to please other people. Mm. So how are we going to riot every single day against people that we have to conform to be? Mm. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's never going to happen. Not for now. I don't think the change that I want to see is going to happen in my lifetime. That's why I do the, um, early intervention and, and community work because of the younger generation. I want them to learn from my parents' mistake. And they've, and because when like when my family was doing bits and pieces in terms of like rioting in the 80s when you had the New Cross fire and stuff like that, you had the Black Power movement here. You had British Black Panthers here in the 70s. Yeah. And, and even in the 60s. But what happened is the government saw that there was an uprising in black consciousness. Mixed race people call themselves black. Yeah. I mean, the term, even mixed race on a census only came out in 2000. Okay. 2010 when they perfected it. So before that, mixed race people... Perfected, but anyway. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. loosely perfected, because yeah. people say I'm Irish. Anyway, that's another story. So before that, mixed race people call themselves black. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So they, they knew their, where they were. All right, cool. So the government's like, all right, well, we need to change education because we want to change the curriculum where... We want to put in a system where you have to go through this in order to get a job. Because a lot of our parents' generation, their hands were their skills. So they yeah, could they, yeah. that was their trade. They didn't have to go to college to get a job. Now it's like, all right, cool. Well, we want to change the system where you're going to need to get these qualifications in order to work here. Forget what you can do. You need these qualifications. So certain men were like, you know what? Let me just try and go to school and try and figure this out, school being uh, education, be it college or whatever. Let me try and figure this out because I want a job. Some people say, no, I'm staying to the streets. 
they're like, okay, so you've got a separation. So certain people want to go out and riot and protest in the 80s, late 70s. Some people are like, nah, 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 nah. I need to hit these books. Cool. The music as well started to change. So even though it was revolutionary, I was saying like Black Uhuru and you got Dennis Brown Revolution. Like, yeah, cool. But then Love Is What came out, late mm -hmm. 70s, early 80s, when it started to become more... So women started singing about heartache and pain and love. So when you've got certain guys looking to <coughs> hit the books and try and figure it out and try to go study and maybe go to uni, then you've got music changing. So some women are saying, Do you know what? I don't need men because... I'm good. Men are trash. And then certain men are like, do you know what? No, we ain't trash. No, babes, let me, t let me talk to you. Let me talk to you. So you've got certain men saying, yeah, do you know, we need to go down to Brixton Police Station because they lock up Leroy. And so da -da 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 -da. certain men say, do you know what? And they look over and they see their woman there and they're just like, do you know what? Boy, we can't even, you know, we're just, <laughs> all right, cool, yeah? All right, look them all. Hang up the phone. And then they're going to go over to the... So the numbers start to dwindle. Then it's like council tax. That goes up. So it's like, all right, well, you need to work because you got to have a J-O-B if mm -hmm. you want to be with me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's then it started to do, 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 do. So they knew anybody can be a revolutionary when you're broke. Mm -hmm. When you're rich, that's when everything changes because you it's have just to... working for you as it is. Exactly. Mm. So it starts to, do, 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 starts to like collapse slowly as you get to like the late 80s, then the 90s happen. And then so on and so forth. So what happened was that we didn't set up a base to say, do you know what? You go to work and change the system from the inside. We will keep it organic and in the streets and try and change it. No, everybody just kind of just went disperse and it just died out. So because they didn't show us what the mistake was, people that was born in the 80s, born in the 90s, we're just picking up from where they left off. And we have no clue about what we're doing. And then the younger generation that are in their teens... They have no idea because we haven't even figured it out. Mm -hmm. So we've got these young people running around, not having a clue of what, like some work in schools and a lot of young people, they have, I said, what's your race? Uh, I don't know. Maybe um, I'm like, okay, what's your ethnicity? Don't know. What's your nationality? Don't know. What's your culture? Don't know. I'm like, bro, you're in your 11. What do you mean you don't know? So we have a lot of young people, especially from like working class background, have no sense of identity, therefore they have nothing to be proud of because we're not sitting down as as 30-year-olds, as 40-year-olds. We're not leaving anything behind. Say, so, you know what? Come over here. This is the reason why you shouldn't be killing that person is because they are you. That's your brother. But for them to understand, that's my brother, I'm not going to kill him, they have to understand that they're family. And if we're not giving them the tools to say, hey, mm. you know, this is what you should be doing, think about this, then it's our fault. What's happening to young people is our fault. Okay. For us to change the narrative, we have to bring them to drink the water from the lake, mm -hmm. but they're not going to be thirsty. Okay, well, if you put salt in the hay, they're going to be thirsty. You have to give them a purpose and give them a reason. But it comes to blackness, we're so... We're, all right, so Birmingham City University has black studies degree, right? It's in its third year now. It's the first time in Europe we've ever had a black studies this degree. Is what, are you studying this, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So black studies came out in America in 69. Mm -hmm. So it's like, hold on, we're 50 years behind America. Blackness as a whole is nothing without United States. If the United States don't do anything, then black people just don't look like they exist they're in America, but they're still a bit ignorant because they think, oh, the black people in, in London drink tea yeah, with the Queen. Know, yeah. I'm like, you know, we're in the belly of the beast, right? If mm -hmm. it wasn't for um, England, you wouldn't be there, literally. Like, so blackness in a whole, in terms of sense of identity, I mean, you've got this book here. This is one of my favorite books. It's called Miseducation of a Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Mm -hmm. Now, he talks about how the system is basically working and not working. It's working because it's doing its job, but it's not working because it doesn't 
basically represent black people. It doesn't represent African-Americans. And the doctrine in there is very poisonous. It's very racist. So he's the one that also came out with Negro History Week, which was on February the 14th. So before he had Black History Month, he had Negro History Week. And I believe that was like 1921 mm -hmm. when he came out with that. Um, because he's like, you know what? Let's have a day where we just celebrate blackness. And it became a week. Well, it became a day that became a week and it became a whole month. Um, so that's where we got idea of our Black History Month started in 1987 um, because we was like, you know what? We need to have our own knowledge. We need to have our own information and we need to um, teach ourselves, which was off the back of something called the Saturday School, yeah. which is a Pan-African school, mm -hmm. um, which is an alternative learning space that pretty much teaches you everything that you can learn in school, but from a black perspective. Um, and like literally those were the things that kind of got black people through Britain from before, even before we are in Rush, right up until... We could say now, but because of austerity, but they've closed down centres and there's not enough spaces for us to have Saturday schools. Our young people are, are missing out on great things that had used to be like prominent in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. um, so blackness as a whole, it's... it's it's Because um, I'm currently writing a book as well called Blackness, Myth or Reality? Okay. With a question mark, meaning is it real or not? Because I go through the historical definition or the etymology of blackness and what does it actually mean? Um, and what are the connotations attached to blackness whether you're black in brazil or you're black in europe or you're black in america or you're black in asia like what does it actually mean because there's a difference between being black in brazil and being black in europe of course yeah. you know what i mean do you know who would have who would have loved being here today poker because he's a man who's traveled a lot yeah and if you would say we'd have plenty of questions for you on that mm. so you touched you touched on a couple of points actually Oh, welcome French. Hey, what's, going hey, on? what's happening? What's happening, French? Thanks for joining us. Yes, how you doing, French? How you doing, man? Um, yeah, sorry. So you, you you touched on a couple of points just then. I wanna I wanna kind of well, you breeze over a couple of points. I wanna I wanna touch back on. So the kind of Black History Studies that that you're that you're currently involved with. You're in your third year, did you say? Yeah, Black Studies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to know a little bit more about what that entails. But also, you've because you've started now by kind of going into this book. I want you to, you brought a load of books with you. Yeah. I want you to kind of break down what these books mean to you and why you've bought them on the podcast. All right, cool. So um, I'll start off with this one. This is a gentleman named William Leo Hansberry. To be honest, if it wasn't for this gentleman, we probably wouldn't even have this book here, which is The Miseducation of a Negro. Reason being, this gentleman here is considered the father of black studies. Okay. He was the one that said, you know what? We need to put blackness in the curriculum. He's the father. He's the one that kind of pushed it. Very intelligent guy. I know um, Booker T. Washington was very intelligent and, you know, he's a bit of a dodgy guy at times. But I, th I think I would have to say William Leo Hansberry was the guy who kind of birthed this whole power of black studies being it needs to be in the curriculum and it needs to be taught in people's houses as well as any other space you can do. Because obviously church was a big thing back in these days, back in his time. So if you can put blackness in church, great. If you can put it in uh, any other sort of kind of meeting or gathering, then good. So mm. this gentleman, I don't want to say too much because I want people to read it. It's a phenomenal, like I didn't even know about this gentleman until like two years ago. Like, it's the first time I'm hearing, hearing of him. I've heard of Booker T. Washington. I've yeah. read that book, The Miseducation of the Negro, but William Lee Hansberry. Yeah, and it's a short book. It's by um, another gentleman that I met, which is Kaba Hiawatha Kamene, and he um, used to be called Booker T. Coleman. You might have seen him on Hidden Colors, or if you've seen that, he's in that. He's in all four, all five of them. Um, brilliant brother. He's 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 the one that kind of showed me about the importance of like breathing and understanding your spirituality through the ends of. Because, for example, like we, 
this is what I do with my young people when I when I work in schools. Is like I say to them, could you go a whole um, day without eating food? They was like, yeah. I was like, could you go a whole day without drinking? They're like, mm, yeah. Yeah, I could. I was like, okay, could you go a whole day without breathing? It was like, no. So I go, what's important? More important, food, water, or air? And they say air. So I'm like, all right, so tell me about air then. It's the most important thing, tell me about air. And they're like, oh, you breathe. I'm like, okay, what else? And it's like, uh, it's oxygen. I was like, okay, carbon dioxide, cool. I'm like, all right, well, tell me about it. How do you breathe then? They're like, like this, yeah, I'm breathing. <laughs> I'm like, that's inhale, exhale, but how you, how do you breathe? And they're like, I don't know. So I do this exercise. I'll do it with you lot right now, actually, real quickly. Mm -hmm. And this is what this is how the uh say ancient Egypt, but it's Kemet. This is what they used to teach as well, in terms of because you've got a left and right brain, you've got a left and right heart, which is your left ventricle, right ventricle, mm. you've got your lungs, everything you've got left and right. Yeah. So how you should be breathing, you should be breathing exactly how a door is, just open, close, open, close. But we don't do that, we're just like every day, get yeah. intense. So this is what you need to do. If you get your right thumb, yeah, yeah, yeah. and pull it over your right nostril, yeah. okay? And I want you to breathe in and hold it, and then I'll show you what to do next. So you breathe in, hold it, pinch it, and then release, then breathe out, breathe in. Pinch it, breathe out. With it one more time. Breathe in. Pinch it, breathe out. And then actually one more time, breathe in. Pinch it, breathe out. Now we need... <laughs> 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 it's start to feel a bit clear. It's because you're breathing with the chambers within your lungs and within your heart and with your breath. Head, bro. Do you know, right. I've got a cold. I'm coming off a cold, so yeah, it just felt a bit. I started so to take that, that, that extra. You can feel the hairs in your nostril. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that, but if we breathe properly every day, if you do that, like <coughs> in the morning, in the night, mm. it just clears you out. It's kind of like what Doctor Sebi talks about with mucus and stuff. Like that. How long you would properly. you do that exercise for? Um, I would say if you breathe in and breathe out, do it. I like to do it like ten times. So mm. that. Like that. If you do it 10 times in the morning, in the night, you're good. It just keeps it clear because, especially for our young people, they don't know how to breathe. So I say to them, look, you tense up. And that's why you don't think because your brain's starving. You need oxygen. Mm. So when someone's, a teacher goes, let's say, Kieran. Kieran, come here. Like, gosh, like what? Like you're tensing again, what? And you're starting to get mm, hot mm, and your, mm. your brain's like, hello, I need air, I need air, I need air. And you're tensing, you're holding it in. So you're not thinking straight because you're being erratic. But if you said... Do you know what? That's what chi is. That's what Bruce Lee talks about. It's chi, it's yeah. ka, it's the air, it's the essence of breathing. As it's you're cow. saying that, I'm just thinking about back in the day because I used to get in trouble in school mm. and I always used to get told, breathe and count to 10. And just doing that, it does calm you down. And I guess that makes sense when, you have, when you're not getting air to your, to your brain. You're going to get amped up and you're going to get, to, you know what I mean? Yeah. You stop listening and all you see is red. Exactly. So yeah, no, that makes sense. Now breathing, like yeah, that. something like that. So that's what cub... Um, uh Kaba he that's what he taught me. Um yeah, he's he's a legend. So he actually wrote this book about um Leo Hansberry because um yeah, I didn't know about Black I knew about Black Studies, but I didn't know he was the kingpin, which then birthed this because I will relate it back to my studies, but I feel like in America there was only I think black people were black for 40 years. Mm. So you had uh W.E. did Du Bois. He was like, do you know what? We need black politics. Marcus Garvey was like, all right, well, we need black economics. Mm. Okay, so yeah, Booker T. Washington, and you could say Carter G. Woodson was like, okay, well, we need black education. And then you had um, 
Elijah Muhammad was like, well, we need black religion. Mm. Created the nation of Islam. It was like one, every decade was like, boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. Then the government was like, no, nah, we need to get rid of these people. Because it's just, <laughs> every decade there's something new and blackness is growing. Obviously you had Black Wall Street as well, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. They were mm. just like, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, oh, can we just do something? And then the 50s, it, it changed. And obviously you had the um, Tuskegee experiment with the syphilis thing and they started to wipe out um, black people. But black studies began in Cornell University in 1969 because they were pretty much, in a nutshell, they felt like they was excluded from the curriculum. And especially when it came to like science, you had lecturers being racist in science, saying black people came from monkeys and all this mm-hmm. stuff, whilst you've got black students. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Especially if you're a black girl in a class like that, you are definitely going to feel a little bit like, oh, wait a minute. So there's like, no, no, we've got to switch it up. So it started in um, 1969, Cornell cool University, and then it developed and it grew. Um, and, then, and then African studies came after that and so on and so forth. But with black studies in, in here in Birmingham City University by um, Professor um, Kahinde Andrews, he wants to bring that elements, which basically is about the community component with black studies being blackness across the African diaspora. Um, and it's been an honour to even join that course because we touch on black history here in Britain, but we touch on black politics, we touch on feminism, we touch on um, the empowerment of music and how that played a role because every music genre was revolutionary at some point um, yeah. and how blackness was like, you know what, we're going to use this as a tool. That, that's how jazz started. Jazz was about going into like these blues parties and going into the underground and speak about experiences and how we can overthrow the system until it went mainstream and then someone was like, yeah, we're going to pick it up. It's always one person that's going to bring it out. Do you know mm. what I mean? We did the same thing with Jackie Robinson. We had obviously the Negro League and mm. then you had the mainstream league and it was like, do you know what, Jackie Robinson, 42, Brooklyn Dodgers, cool. We're going to let him play in that league. But what happened? There was like, okay, well, we will let him play over here with us, mm. but we want to let a couple of people over there. And then once that happened, it was over because the Negro League started to die because people were just like, oh, I want to join him. I want to yeah. I want to play as well. And then once, then you leave your community, you leave your ends, mm. and then you go over there and then you don't own and control anything. So you're still going to be called boy, you're still going to be called coon, you're still going to be called monkey, all these sort of things. And you then you lose that value. Same with jazz. We let people in. Cool. Great. Fantastic. It's for everyone. It's music. But it's about music from the soul. It's about struggle. Jazz came from blues music, which is about the struggle but it was about how do I get through the system as well as try and find myself how do I be a man do you know what I mean because mm. my woman's leaving me i got to try and find this job the police are beating on me do you know what I mean that same basic riff duh, 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 duh. my <laughs> wife left me duh, 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 duh. <laughs> like master's after me duh, 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 duh. do you know what I mean it came from spiritual songs that struggle, was on the yeah. and the struggle came yeah. from blood. so every music came from struggle you could even do Garage, you could do. Yeah, gr- I was gonna say you, you could bring could, it up to yeah, today. Yeah, jungle, in our, in jungle, was un- yeah. jungle was underground, but jungle, obviously, because of the drum pattern. Do you know what I mean? Do, 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 do you know yeah. what I mean? That BPM yeah. you're hearing, that's that's drums. Doom, 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 doom. That's what you're hearing. Plus, on top of that, it was sampled from dancehall. Mm-hmm. Dancehall obviously came from reggae, ska, rock steady, again yeah. alternative music. Some of it's about love. Yeah, so lineage. it all ties, and then grime is an extension of of garage and jungle in terms of spitting or toasting, which is a dance all thing. Yeah. And then that came from because they couldn't, we couldn't get anything from East on, onto mainstream. So it's like, let's go on private station. Let's do mm. our own little thing again. It's cool. And then one person makes it through. It's like, okay. And then other people start to, and then black people that on grab. Because when you look at online streaming now, that's what makes people get paid. Mm. But it's white girls that stream and pay more money for music 
than anything else. When you right. go to a grand concert, it's you get everyone that goes there, which is mm. cool. Music's for everyone. But in terms of money, it's actually white teenage girls that spend more money on Spotify and whatnot that makes everything flourish. So again, even when you've got a struggle music, if it's not for the people that you kind of try to appeal to, we're not going to thrive. So again, back to the community component I was saying earlier, if we don't collectively come together and support each other and want to take that risk, then we're just going to keep making the same mistake. We don't own anything. Like in terms of black people as a whole, we don't own and control any genre of music. We don't, and when it comes to books, we write books, but we don't own major publishing houses. Mm -hmm. We don't own any major newspapers. The Voice is there, but no one really reads The Voice. You've got South London Press, but no one really reads it like that. So <laughs> so we don't own any major newspapers. Nationalism had their one for time, but it, yeah, right? No offense, but it just, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we don't own any, um, um, uh, any major record labels. We don't own any major stations, radio stations. We don't own any legit stations. We not really know. Mm. So we own bag of pirate stations. Mm. We don't own any publishing houses to publish content. Okay. And also we don't own many uh <coughs> like art galleries. So actually we don't know any major art galleries. I was gonna say there's independent ones. You may Definitely. get a, a few independents. But with the amount of money we spend on nonsense, we could easily just make an independent one like massive and say, Do you know what? We're gonna shove you, we're gonna make you have a nice space somewhere somewhere in Soho or something like that. So mm. when it comes to the young people and we're saying to them, yeah, do you know what? You can do this, you can do that. And they turn around and say, but how though? We don't, we've got nowhere to go. They're right. We we don't own and control anything. And for us to thrive, we have to, that's what it is. It's, a, it's literally about power. We are too busy dealing with horizontal issues. We need to be dealing with vertical issues. Um, and Dr. Claude Anderson talks about in his book called Powernomics. He talks about, like, we're dealing with issues like saying, all right, well, you're from this area, I'm from that area, you're more bougie because you live over there, I'm more hood because I live over here. Okay, cool. Uh, well, you're a woman, I'm a man. Okay, those are the issues. You're this, vertical issues when it comes to us as a collective. Mm -hmm. And we don't deal with things as us as a collective because there's so much of a divide, so much of a divide. And they've done a great job. When I say they, I'm talking about the powers that be, but the oppressors have done a great job by putting these little intricate things to make us face each other. Go, going back to 1712 when you had William Lynch, when he lynched the, mm -hmm. people have argued to say he didn't exist, but his principles still stand when it comes to old versus young, young versus old, man versus woman, woman versus man, light skin versus dark skin, dark skin versus light skin, da -da -da -da. it all plays into part now. 77% of Nigerian women bleach their skin. 40% of Indian women bleach their skin because of the insecurities that they have that the system's put into place where they want to make people feel better if you're lighter and worse off if you're darker. Plus, they've actually turned that into commodity money where you've got Nivea and other brands that will make money off people's insecurities. Then us being black men, we're stupid enough to fall into that and play into the hands of the oppressor, where we will encourage that behaviour and still perpetuate that same nonsense, be it through media, music, be it through books, be it through any kind of content where we will celebrate someone that's lighter. We play into that. The only time you don't really see that is in Afrobeats videos. But soon, give it like three or four years, they keep making commercial music. Burner's going to do his thing, Davido's going to do his thing, cool. But soon, you're going to start to see the change. We've allowed it through dancehall, we've allowed it through rap and R&B, we've allowed it through grime. You're starting to see the demise of the African mind. It's another book by Chin Wezu called Decolonizing the African Mind, where he talks about even though you can walk around and be black, if you're not black up here, forget it. If you're not black in your mind, forget it. It's about having the African centeredness, which ties into my book, Is Blackness a Myth or Reality? Because the difference between being black and being African is black is political. White people don't really call themselves 
anything else. But they say I'm white, but that's about it because you know it's about politics. White gives you power. White gives you. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Black is a is an alternative word that came after, let's say, Negro or the or nigger. But it came from Negro, which in German means something, in Greek means necro, meaning corpse, meaning death, meaning so many different things. But black is just a political way of saying I am this because it's not really a skin colour. Nothing in this world is this colour. Mm-hmm. Nothing in the universe is really mm. that colour. There's a few things you could say is the closest to it, which is carbon, which is from the earth, which with pressure makes diamonds. But nothing's really that dark. The darkest person in Africa is not even black. The whitest person in Europe is not even white. If they were, they'd be dead. Mm-hmm. So black, no one's actually black. We're just a shade of brown. Mm. So the idea of being black is just political to put you on a stance on where you are on the, on, on the scale. But because we're so European and so... Because of Stockholm syndrome, we'd be like our oppressors so much, we'll follow into the terminology that they give us. If you was black, if, you was, uh, if you're black and born before 1991, you'd probably put black British on your... Your parents put black British on your um, birth certificate, whether you're African or not. Only after 1991 did they create Black British Caribbean or Black British African. So when people are separating themselves, it's because the oppressors are giving us options. Mm. So when you've got people saying, oh, okay, I'm mixed or I'm biracial, okay, cool, identify how you want to identify, but you're only using terminology that was given to you. Because 100 years ago, you were still black. Mm. 50 years ago, you was black. <coughs> 40 years ago, you was black. That was it. You might say I'm mixed because my mum or my dad's white or my whatever, but in terms of politics... You was black. You're still IC3 to the police. Mm. You're still called the N-word. You are still called a certain ape. That's it. So the moment we start to detach ourselves from our collective thought, that's when we start to lose. In um, The Art of War mm-hmm. by Sun Tzu, he talks about if you know yourself and you don't know your enemy, you're 50% in the battle and you've lost. If you know the enemy but you don't know yourself, you've lost straight mm. away. But if you know yourself and you know your enemy you're always going to win. And a lot of us don't know ourselves. So that's why we're always losing. We're still, and we're making the same, same, same silly mistakes because we haven't learned from the people from before us. That's why reading is so fundamental, especially when it comes to boys. So you have uh, Jawanza Kunjufu, this book here called Countering the Conspiracy to Destroy Black Boys. This book here is sick. This guy actually looks like Drake. Don't you think? Like baby Drake back in the day. It's like Drake. Right. <laughs> but this book here, and this was from the 80s, I believe. Wow, I think this 80s, book is and it's so relevant. It's so relevant. Right oh, second. I am telling you, he breaks it down in terms of when it comes to this book, he talks about destroy black boys because black boys are seen as the go-to people to attack first. Because girls are they mature quicker and girls are seen as a lot smarter. When you look at the curriculum now, you look at GCSE results, African girls or black girls do better than African boys, Caribbean boys, whatever. Mm-hmm. So the boys seem to be the one to focus on because they're the, they're the weakest link. You always go for the weakest link when you want to fight a battle. And he says there's so many things that boys have to do when it comes to masculinity, it comes to broken homes, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to so many different things, he says that they get attacked all the time and that's how they destroy it because if... If you destroy the man, just like on a plantation where they used to dehumanise the man by tying a horse to each side and then rip the horse and split him in half. Mm. Or what they used to do is get a pregnant woman, stand her on a block, and then they used to get other pregnant women and children around, then they used to cut her open and then have the baby drop out and then stamp on the baby's head because the people that are watching, it's going to create trauma. It's going to create that little bit of a hormone in them that's going to be infused into the baby, which then the baby's going to be born in fear before anything else. Mm. So when you've got these people that have got, they've got <coughs> tactics in order to get rid of people and to pump fear, they're always going to find a way to put it. That's why most of the adverts on, African t- on TV about Africa is 
a, a baby with a massive stomach flies around their eyes is because you're like, oh, do you know what? I don't want to be attached to Africa. So you go to certain Jamaicans, like, yo, you're African. They're like, why? Unless you're Rasta, it's like, well, I mean, not even. It's because the vision of Africa has been so bad, which is about the miseducation of a Negro. So attacking boys was the first thing they wanted to do because if you attack the power, the power is in the men, the spirit is in the women. Spirit is in the women. Every revolutionary movement you can think of was because of a woman. You got the Haitian Revolution, which was great. And you had Toussaint Levertour and you had um, Dessaline and you had Bookman, but every single one of them had influence by a woman. Dessaline was the soldier. He was just thumping up the French, dicing <laughs> them up. Like, oh, you want to come here? All right, cool. Come, 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 come. We're going to hide in the bushes and then we're going to show you how we get down. He was then taught how to fight by his mother, African woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah? You had Queen Nanny of the Maroons in Jamaica. She, again, was the one who was like, boom. You had um, Asantewa as well. You had Ghana when um, they was defeating the, uh, the the English. Again, it's a woman with a shotgun saying, all right, it's on site, who wants it? She was one that's leading the team. Like every revolutionary... When you've got Martin Luther King and you've got him saying, I have a dream, when he's got that speech mm-hmm. and he's in the capital, you hear a woman, there's an audio you can hear where they try to mute it out, but the original, you can hear a woman in the background because he's talking, he's waffling. He's mm. just saying what he wants to say. There's a woman in the background saying, talk about the dream, Martin. Talk about the dream. Then he goes. Yeah. And that becomes his prolific speech. But it's a woman in the background. The spirit, the essence is in the woman. The power is in the man. Mm-hmm. So when you've got the power and spirit together, you can't be controlled. It's, it's, you can't. So when you take it away, you have to take away the power first. Because women will fight. But if a man's in front, certain people are going to want to be like, whoa, maybe I don't want to rock it out with this person because this guy looks like he's kind of big and I don't really want any problems. So let me just stand off. So when you've got a black man protecting a black woman, it's, it's they don't want to see that. They work their magic to separate that. They tried everything. They tried to separate the family by putting man against woman on the plantation. Then you try to separate the man by throwing him in jail. Then you try to separate the man by saying, do you know what? Don't cry. Don't be emotional. Don't even show weakness to your woman because if you do that, you're going to be a wuss and she's not going to like you. Then go to the woman saying, you don't want a man that cries. What's wrong with you? Like, he's going to see you. You're going to what? He's, what? You're going to not cry. He's going to cry. Like, what kind of... So then you had a separation where you had, you had a girl saying, women saying, do you know what? I don't need a... I don't need a man. I'm good for myself. I can protect myself. I don't need no weak man. Why are you crying for? Then you teach that to young boys like they fall over and graze their knee. And most boys don't want to cry, but it's the fear of seeing blood where they're like. You know what I mean? You know, little ones don't cry until they see blood. So then you say to them, don't cry, man up and be... Man up. His balls haven't even dropped yet and you wanted him to man up. How? Because that's what you've been told. And then, so we don't have that security where men can express. And then men can say, do you know what? I'm going to talk to you like a man to a woman, woman to a man and say, do you know what? I've got some issues I want to deal with, you know, but I don't know how to deal with it. Let me get some of your light. Let me get some of your wisdom. So men internalise it. So then men get sectioned because of mental health. There are a lot of people walking around today, especially a lot of old men, that are walking around with undiagnosed traumas mm-hmm. because they can't express. Do you see what I'm saying? Whether it's, I've been on the road and I've seen some... Ma- like, even if you had to lick down someone, mm-hmm. that's traumatic. If you had to joke someone, you've actually had to feel the blade go into someone's skin, say you killed them. You didn't want to do it, but you just on stuff that day because you weren't breathing. Mm. That's traumatic. <laughs> then you go jail, you see some things in jail, or something might have happened to you in jail, that's traumatic. Yeah. Then you come out, and then you've got, what, you saved your time, you paid your dues, and then you must go back into society and do what? At what point did you get any healing? Mm-hmm. But then 
if you go to jail, you're, do you know what I mean, five times more likely to go back in. So then you go back in, doing the same thing, boom. Or let's say you do something, you don't go to jail. And you're just navigating around and just like, you ain't, you can't express yourself. Mm. That's that's traumatic. Seeing some stuff, like seeing someone getting shot, your bridge and getting shot. And he's there dying out. That's traumatic. That's crazy. But we don't even want to, some people, when they watch adverts of sick puppies, Google it. There are people that have actually called and said, can you take the advert down because it's traumatic? Just seeing a puppy, they're not RSPCA. Mm. It's traumatic. But they've, the way they've worked it is so we can be desensitised, plugging it and saying, do you know what? Black people are two-fifths of a human being. That's what James Madison said. He was the fourth president of the United States. Mm. For him to justify having slaves, he had to say we're two-fifths of a human being, meaning if you go outside and you step on an ant, you're not going to feel bad because it's an ant. It's small. It's nothing. It's not, it's not a real person, so who cares? Mm. Or if it's a slug, you're like, ugh, but whatever. That's about it. So for him to justify slavery during the 1700s, he had to say human, black men and black women were two-fifths of a man. So now we still got that same mentality. Like if most people, if we was on stage and we had, um, no, it was an audience and I was doing like a presentation and I showed a puppy being crushed to death. Mm. Most people would cry and be like, oh my God, oh my days. And especially if you're not black, you're definitely going to be like, oh, what can we do? Who is that horrible person that did that, that mm. killed that puppy? And they will start to raise money, like out of nowhere. There'll be a GoFundMe page, <laughs> like there'll be like 50, 100K, like. Instant. Boom, instantly. <laughs> what can we do? If I show the slide and say this person just got, he was on his way home from school, got stabbed, 15 years old. Baptista, Stratford. People be like, man, knife crime's crazy. So anyway, all right, what we get yeah. for lunch, you know, man, yeah. ugly. <laughs> you say, True. no one do anything. The fact that we're in a situation now in society where a life of a young person is not, take, is not taken as serious as the life of an animal, forget it. Forget it. The amount of money that gets raised for animals in comparison to trying... The only time pe money gets raised for people is when it's time for burials. It's like, oh, can you help me? I can't afford to bury my son or bury my nephew mm -hmm. or niece or daughter, whatever. Could you? And then they might raise that 5K and then they can get the funeral done and whatnot. Other than that, no other... There's no action because there is no need. There's no... It's not... Nothing's priority anymore. We are desensitised. And the moment we're desensitized from things that's happened to our young people, whether it be a boy or a girl, how can we call ourselves a nation? How can we call ourselves a people? Every nation cares about their young people at some point or cares about their women or whatever. Um, and, and, and we don't have that as black people. There's a, um, oh, what's his name? A Russian, I don't know if he's a philosopher, but I think he's into politics. I'm not too sure. His name's Toyevsky, something like that. He says, you can judge a nation by their prison population, how what's happening in their prison. Okay, so with the population, black people are 3% of the population, but we are like 13% of the prison population. Meaning, if you put it into a ratio, there is more black people in prison mm. in the UK than there are black people in prison in America. Let's put that into a bigger perspective. There were more black people in prison in America than there were slaves during the peak time of slavery in the United States and the South. Well, they are the new slaves. Thank you. So even though we're seen as small as the UK, racism, prejudice, and institutional racism is worse here, but it's subtle. Mm. I'm rather Trump because he's going to call me an N-word and I'm good. I need to know how far I can trust you. Mm. You know when it's subtle where it's like, hi, you're right, or they move your bag, mm. or they mm. might say, do you know what? I don't know, I don't want to stand next to this person. That is worse because you don't know how... 
And if you deal with that, where you're always on edge, I don't know if they like me, they like me, they race, I don't can't. That's traumatic. That's sending you mad. Most of us are walking around mad. You know, like the fact that you can't even be yourself in your day to day life as a black person is crazy. That is traumatic. Think about it when you're in a lift. Mm. You're just like that. Mm. I'm just like this. All right. You're more relaxed, you don't have a hood. But you might even do this anyway. In a lift. And just you, just for the sake of it, you want to make them feel comfortable. So let's say you're in a lift, yeah? You got mm. your hat, you got your trackie on. Mm. White person comes in, white woman or white man, just come from work in a suit. And they, they door opens, you're already in there, they, and they come in and they see you. What's the first thing you do? Just have a smile. Thank you. You have to. Right. But what what <laughs> kind of smile do you do? A fake Look, smile. It's, not, it's, it's, it's the fake right. smile, man. It's the, I'm peaceful. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. And people watch and say, do you know what? I know what he's talking about. No, exactly. To. Yeah, standard. Even today when I was in my own, where I live, I got into a lift, someone else come in. Like, obviously I'm big, black or whatever, whatnot. She's a woman. Uh, I think she was like an Asian descent or something. But you could just feel that they're uncomfortable stepping in into this small area where we are. I'm not going to harm her. I'm going to my yard. Yeah. But I, you could feel the tension, so you have to kind of, not to say put my arms behind my back and like be almost defenceless. Like I'm not here to harm you. I'm just want trying to get to where I'm getting to. So you put on a smile. You, you know what I mean. You do the whole fake. I'm just. And you might raise your eyebrows when you smile, right? Yeah, you yeah, know what yeah. Like? The whole the whole nine yards, yeah, right? Yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, see, you know that, <laughs> right? So the fact that we have to do that on a day to day basis, and you do that from when you're young. I remember doing that in school days, like. Mm. Because you just know, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. You want to be That's... less less threatening to what they seem to perceive you as. Exactly. Why mm. are we doing that? Mm. That's not our job. How are, you, how are you 16, 15 years old, you know, to like that? Because, you know, you know, because of what you may think about me, I'm going to do the job to make sure there is no other race that does that. We do that on a day. That's traumatic. Who's writing about that? Mm. Who's, docu- who's tweeting that? No one is. So even though we might go, it's yeah, normal. I'm doing certain it's, things, it's we're still going to do it. You may have to do it. You've got a lovely <laughs> jumper on, you've got a shirt on, but it's like, you know, you're still a black man. So let me, let me just, oh, you're right. Or you might go high pitch. Okay, have a good day. <laughs> like you want to change just to please them. They don't change to please us. They don't understand when we feel uncomfortable. They have really? You felt uncomfortable? I didn't actually think that was the case. I mean, he was very open. He was, he spoke. I mean, yes, he made monkey noises, but, you know, he probably likes animals. And yes, he threw a banana at you. Maybe he thought you was hungry. Hungry. Like, <laughs> um, you know, yes, he called you a coon, but maybe he's thinking about his childhood when he had a gollywog as a child to play with. Like, mm. there's, they have, and then when you say, no, that's, you're doing this, then they say, oh, but when you speak out, it's, Reverse racism, it's like, that's called psychological projection when you actually believe in something, but you don't know how to deal with it. So you pull it onto someone else and say, no, you're doing it. Like, back in the days we used to do it as kids, you know when you fart, but you blame it on someone else? Mm. Like, oh, you farted, but it's like, you <laughs> smell, you don't it. Like, that's what, that's what it is. It's called psychological projection. So that's what, they're very good at that. And they're very good at what you call um, um, compartmentalization. Do you know what I mean? So they'll say, do you know what? You're all right. I like you too. You're all right. The rest of them. Right? Yeah, I've heard oh, that. Right? Yeah. Oh, do you know what I mean? Or oh, do you know what? I don't... I hate black people. I do sometimes. Do you know what I mean? I hate them. I hate the little, little wogs. I hate them. I hate them. But, you see that Sterling? Oh, he can score goals, can't he? <laughs> right? Like... Yeah, real shit. But, as a victim, every single day, we have to put on that face. Mm. Especially if in the corporate world. you got your little money, you're a lawyer. What? There is not one institution that I can think of that's not racist. Not one in the UK. It's worse here as in the States. States is, you have BET. Mm. You, 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 
Can you? We had Real McCoy, and that was it. That was the closest we got to black TV. Desmonds. Desmonds as well. That. <laughs> That's it. Do you think we can have BT? No, it's... Well, so what if we called it White Entertainment Television? You do! It's called the five channels, like, every single one of them. Like, so, say it loud, this book here, phenomenal book. And um, Marxism and the Fight Against Racism, um, edited by Brian Richardson. Um, this book looks at being black and proud, but it's also... It connects all sorts of revolutions. So even when, like, you had revolutions in the 70s and 80s here, the Black Power Movement, a lot of Asians were involved. Because if you weren't white, you was non-white, meaning you was black. So a lot of Asians were called black. Mm-hmm. Um, so this book highlights that from America to, from Marx to uh, um, movements that was happening here to, um, but it touches more on American movements. But from a Marxist approach, um, this book is very, 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 very good. Um, this book here was actually given to me by um, uh, a sister, um, an auntie. Now, it's a textbook of Igbo linguistics. Now, the reason why she gave this to me is because I was speaking to her about the vernacular of the English language, meaning like you have there, meaning over there, yeah. and then you have theirs and like theirs yeah. sort mm-hmm. of thing. And, and then you, And you have there, but like as in they are. Or, yeah, right. so you, yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, hair, 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 and all yeah, kinds of hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was speaking to her about that, and she was like, what the English language is, it's like <clears> a... <throat> she said it was, it's like a spell, yeah? Um, and she's from um, the Ibo tribe, and she said that when you start to understand the English language, you start to realise how messed up it is, because you go to other parts of the world, like, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, this is probably like a real ignorant statement, but how many there's like over like 300 characters in the Chinese um, lexicon I think I think there's I think over 300 characters you know we've got like 26 yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think there's like there's loads of characters mm-hmm. and then like when I see the characters I'm like bruh I can't learn all that it's long but other people learning language say it's so hard because of like you've got capital letters that are in the wrong place and you've got like when it comes to like the word light and you've got GHT mm-hmm. like that should give you the sound mm-hmm. but it doesn't yeah. they've taken it out so silent letters and that's just like, yeah, mm. like it's crazy. So what she says is that when you start to learn English language, Dr. Umar Johnson talks about it as well, saying that a lot of the our languages have a lot of vowels in it, mm. as opposed to English language being consonant. Mm. So a lot of us are structured by, hello, I'm going over there to join my friends to discuss how we can solve this solution. Mm-hmm. When it comes to African language, it's very, it's like water, it flows. So we will say something like, listen, and then we say like a more like colloquial street term, just like, so I'm going to go check my bedroom quickly and then we're going to go do a couple of things and then we're going to move over there. Do you know what I mean? So feel me. So we speak where it's like, it just flows and we can understand the whole thing. Now, another key thing when it comes to um, language is understanding that when it comes to European doctrine, a lot of it's so structured where it's like, they will say something to you and then, like, you in university, and it's like, okay, discuss, or do you understand? When it comes to African language, it's more spiritual. So it's like, do you feel me? Mm-hmm. Majority of the time you say, do you feel what I'm saying? You're like, yeah, I feel you, because it's not even about what you... It's like, guys, yeah, you know when you've... You know when you've had a, a dispute with a, with, a, with a woman, right? And it's not what she said 
How it's said. <laughs> it's how she said it. Do you know what I mean? It's always about how. And that's the African <laughs> way of understanding language. It's not, hey, I don't care what you say. It's how you say it. Like, mm. Would you say? It's all the time. So naturally, we're like, oh, do you feel me? Because we're rhythmatic Vibrations. people. Vibrations. Exactly. Mm. So when you understand like West African languages, like the Imbo language, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's amazing. So she gave me this book, um, which highlights um, how certain, so for example, like because of spirituality, like, Mental health doesn't exist there. Okay. It doesn't because there's no term. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's no terminology for it because it's like, what? We just call it that and then we've got a solution for it. We don't understand depression. We don't understand bipolar. We don't, there's no word for it. So even in languages today in certain parts of Africa, in 54 countries, there are still languages that don't have a word for something that we would have over here. It's crazy. But then it's like, is that a bad thing? And I look at it and say, no, because... They don't have a word for it because they don't identify it because it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to like, like I was saying about mental health, it, it just it just doesn't it just doesn't exist because of that. Well, no, that's that's you just need some rest. <laughs> like you just need some rest. <laughs> like you, you like over here we have a headache and it's like oh I need to take some paracetamol or whatnot. Then it's like okay, well Africans look at it, say well where is your headache? There's three places you can have a headache here, top and back. So here would be like stressed here would be like hunger and here would be like lack of water mm -hmm. so is your headache here drink some more water <laughs> <laughs> do you problem, know what i mean problem solved this is what i'm saying so mm. they're they're good at solutions they you know what i mean but with spirituality it comes from the women on a slave plantation the doctor was also the chef so because your food is your medicine mm -hmm. so you had a lot of women who were also witch they called the witch doctors i don't like to use that terminology but they were the witch doctors but they're also the chefs like the mammies because you see what I'm saying? Even though they was going through oppression, the slave master wanted the mammy to whip up something for him because he knew she had the remedies. Despite, I don't like you. I don't like your people. I don't like your family. And I'm probably going to sell one of your, your sons soon anyway. But I got a little bit of a cough. Can you just whip? So she'll just get this little herb, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then boom. Imagine that. Plus, when they had children, they'll get the slaves to breastfeed because they do the African, the, 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 what's the... The little, oh man, the, the the substance that comes out before the milk comes out, that little bit of energy there that comes out, the little bio kind of type thing, um, uh, that in itself holds so much, like in terms of nutrients and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They would make, when they have a new baby, they would make the slave like breastfeed. Mad. Like, there's little, like, you know you're going to be whipped, but let me just breast, yeah, I'm going to breastfeed. Yeah, bring your child, come, I'm just, and then they never, so if you have a child, your child, would uh, breastfeed on this one and then the white child would breastfeed on this one. They would never swap. So he's like, if you ever let my child touch that tip, I'm going to... Imagine that. He was like, yeah, 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 just don't. Keep them on that one and keep your eye on... Da -da 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 -da.